Hello, everyone, and happy spring day to you wherever you are. Officially outside, it is sunny, and I'm I'm taking it on, guys. I really am taking it on because I'm so sick of clouds. I feel like this winter sucked, and this spring is sucking, in Toronto anyway, and every time it says it's going to be nice outside, it's been really shitty. And it's depressing. And today, you know what? I had very low expectations and the sun is shining and I'm taking it on. Guys, I'm a little bit jazzed because I just finished a really exciting interview. I can say it now because we actually have a recording down with author and researcher and economist Emily Oster. And Emily wrote two of my favorite books, Expecting Better, uh, which is a book about all of the uh, data behind common pregnancy recommendations, like don't drink coffee. Um, she actually goes down all the risks, you know, eating sushi, the listeria risks, and I, I think kind of takes some of the hysteria out of pregnancy. So I really loved it. I really appreciated that book. It made me somewhat saner. Emily wrote Crib Sheet uh, in order to help parents make data-driven decisions. And, you know, the basic theme of her book is that there are many good decisions to make. And here's the information on it in case you can't make one that you want. And guess what? There are lots of good ways to do this parenting thing, which I kind of love. And she talks a lot about uh, sleep, sleep training. We go into a little bit about what the evidence says in our interview. But all in all, I'm really excited for you to listen. And that should be out next week or the week after, depending on how long it takes to edit. But I'm super excited for you to listen to it. And in the meantime, you should buy Group Sheet because it's awesome. And it might give you a little bit of a heads up on our conversation. But this week, we are talking about early mornings. I mean, I don't even have a, a proper listener question this week, to be honest. I have no fun email to read to you from a client because my Instagram and my email box are full of questions from random people. Okay, this is great. I really appreciate the four-month regression thing, but what about early mornings? What about early mornings? Past clients? Oh my God, my kid's getting up so early. What do I do? So we're going to talk a lot about that today and what is going on. Your kid is not broken. This happens to me every year. Spring is the worst. I always kind of joke that spring is bad for business because babies wake early and uh, winter, as soon as, you know, daylight savings happens, it's a little darker. It's like awesome. Everyone's sleeping well. I actually talked about this when I was on CTV. I talked about the October sleep slump because we all feel so tired. And then spring comes and we're like, now, man, I'm awake. I'm going to be awake all the time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm going to talk to you about some strategies that you can be um, employing to help your children sleep a little bit longer in the morning, because I think that uh, it sounds like many of you are suffering right now. So let's jump into that. What is going on biologically, right? What is going on with your baby who does not want to sleep in? You know, you might have had that baby who is sleeping until 7 a.m. And all of a sudden you have a week of, you know, 5.30 wake-ups. There are many reasons why that could be happening. And we're going to talk about a few of them. The big one that I want to talk about first and foremost is that waking up a little bit earlier, you know, if it's within a reasonable time, makes total sense right now. Why? Because we're creatures of the sun, okay? We create melatonin when the sun is gone, okay? So the sun goes down, our body senses that it's a little bit dark, 
We start producing melatonin to kind of get us a little bit sleepy. It's just an indicator to us like, hey, uh, it's dark and you should be sleeping, okay? And, and that's a really important thing for us to have. And if you think about any time you've gone camping, right? I, I talk about this uh, all the time that, you know, when I went camping, I would look it down at my watch and be like, oh my God, it's eight o'clock and I feel like it's 11 o'clock. And it's because our melatonin's been going. We have no artificial light. Uh, light prevents melatonin from uh, producing. And so when we're in those conditions, we tend to go to bed earlier and we tend to wake up earlier because we are creatures of the sun. When the sun comes up, we wake up. We want to wake up. So actually, little bits of light are the indicator for your brain to stop producing melatonin and to produce some cortisol to wake you up in the morning. So we need all of these things. These are great survival mechanisms that tell us to be awake and be alert. And so, you know, I want you to keep this in mind that what is happening is very biological. And so, therefore, it is absolutely no accident that every April, May, when the sun starts to come up, usually after time change, babies tend to start waking earlier in response to the sun. And so the sun comes up and I would say it, it can start peaking, you know, peaking its little head up about 435. And if you have a, a light sensitive child, that uh, it might be really stimulating and exciting for them to wake up, right? They see the sun, they're like, great. I mean, my five-year-old is still telling me at, you know, 5.30 some days, because I am also dealing with early mornings, hey, mom, the sun is up. Sun is up. So <laughs> she's right. I mean, she's just a human. So I want you to keep that in mind. That's going to be my basic thought for you, okay? That if if your your children are light sensitive and it is spring, um, it's probably harder to put them to bed. It's probably uh, easy for them to wake up super early. And, you know, that's probably what's happening, okay? Now, there are also other reasons for early waking. So we're going to talk about that today. And you can kind of listen and do your checklist to see where you are on that thing. So if you think, oh man, I am kind of doing that, or this is what's kind of happening. These are some things that we can do right away to kind of change things up a bit for you. So the first strategy I'm going to, I'm going to communicate to you is, you know, keep it simple. If you think that your child is sensitive to light, if they are waking literally around the, the crack of dawn, then it might be a light issue. So, you know, my first could sleep with a little bit of light and it was never an issue. You know, it happened, but she didn't have these long prolonged wakings or early mornings. But my second, oh my gosh, as soon as the sun came up, she was up like 4.30 in the morning and happy, you know, la, 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 la. But I'm not sleeping through Lela's. I'm not sleeping at all. So I went a very tasteful route and I got all of the garbage bags in my house and I taped them to her window and it solved the problem, like literally almost immediately. You know, I talk about this all the time, but if there is even a sliver of light in your room, it is too much. You might have to make your room like a panic room. <laughs> and I know that seems a little bit crazy, but uh, it can work for a lot of people and it's a cheaper option than hiring me or calling me. So I'd want to start there and I'd want you to try that for about two weeks. Because if your child has been getting up for, you know, a week at 530 and we don't want them to get up at that time, their body clock is kind of set to that waking now. So they're probably going to wake at 530 for a little while, see that it's really dark. And then it's going to take some time for them to put themselves back down until a reasonable hour. 
And it could take up to two weeks to make that shift. So if that does happen, again, don't panic. I would just keep up with it for two weeks. And, you know, in a good way to test it is try to, to put up those garbage bags during the daytime. So when it is super bright, you can shut the door, turn off the lights and be like, okay, can I see my hand? <laughs> if the answer is yes, then it's probably too bright or it will be too bright in the morning. They will get some sense of the sun. So you want to make sure that you can see your hand and that, you know, if you can see it, so can your child and just make sure that they're not. So yeah, that's an easy one. Number two, there is some evidence to suggest that potentially an early bedtime can reset your circadian rhythm in the morning. And I'll explain why. So like I've mentioned in episode two, all about why your child isn't sleeping, I talk a lot about sleep cycles and how no one is actually sleeping straight through the night. We're all sleeping in a series of, of cycles, right? We connect that cycle, connect that cycle, connect that cycle, and then we wake up in the morning. Now, if we start that cycle a little bit earlier, it means that the, the last to second last sleep cycle ends earlier in the morning. So let's say you, you know, have been putting your child to bed maybe a little bit later in hopes that they would sleep in. When we pull back uh, bedtime a little bit, maybe, you know, half an hour, an hour, depending on what time your bedtime is, that sleep cycle can, you know, instead where it's ending at 530, maybe it's ending at 430. When that sleep cycle ends at the 4.30 time, you might be able to get, you know, one and a half to two hours more sleep and you might get a 6.30 bedtime when your child connects another sleep cycle. So, you know, it feels sort of counterintuitive, but for some kids, all I've really had to do is pull back bedtime a little bit. So you might want to try that. It can be really helpful. At the very least, if you are in this situation where your kid is just a sunflower, a creature of the sun, it's not really going to matter what time you put them to bed, they're going to wake up with the sun. You might want to start with an early bedtime anyway, just so they get more rest and they're not super cranky the next day. That's really important. So if it's gone on for a really long time, just pulling back bedtime a little bit. So, I mean, that's what's happening in my house. My kids are up at about six o'clock every day. Um, I would say for a while in the winter, we're getting to about 637 most days. So now they're at a, up at, you know, just before six, six o'clock. And so we put them to bed early. We put them to a bed about 630 when, when they're doing this. So that can be a strategy, just a coping mechanism anyway. The third thing I, I would love for you to be thinking about is what's going on with your older kids. Now, there are some kids, they might be napping or they might not be, you know, as your kids get older, for sure, the more sleep equals more sleep thing still applies. But there is a limit to how much your child can start sleeping, right? So at around, you know, two and a half, three, we might want to start thinking about limiting some of the sleep. So if your child is sleeping two to three hours a day, and then going to bed at seven and you want them to sleep till seven, that's a lot of sleep for a two and a half and a three-year-old. You might actually be looking at too early of a bedtime where they're legitimately running at a sleep pressure uh, by the time 536 rolls around. So for some of you with older children, it might be about uh, pushing, pushing bedtime up a little bit. And that's in the instance of probably a child who is on the cusp of dropping the nap, is still napping, but maybe doesn't need to be. You are going to have to push up bedtime because too much sleep does start to impact your mornings at some point. On the same note as, you know, too early bedtimes, even with some babies, 
we could be getting too much daytime sleep. Again, this goes against all of our beliefs that, you know, more sleep equals more sleep. That is going to be true for a lot of kids. But again, your kids can't sleep 20 out of the 24 hours a day, right? There does need to be some time that we are awake to build adequate sleep pressure. So sometimes when I have clients who have super early mornings, a lot of the things that those clients share is a lot of daytime sleep. So they could be sleeping, you know, I would say when your child is between four months and a year, like probably, you know, four to six months, we're looking at maybe three to four hours a day sleep maybe a little bit lower than that for some six, six months to 12 months, we're looking at, I would say about two to three hours max. So if your child is getting more than that during the day, if they're consistently sleeping four to five to six hours during the day, they may legitimately not be awake enough during the day to build up the sleep pressure they need to sustain a long day, or their naps might be total, total, total crap. We can't even get them to a reasonable bedtime. We keep putting them down at 6, 6.30. And then legitimately, they have nothing in the tank at 5. So if that is you, that could be something that you need to work on, right? If, if your naps aren't long enough or sustaining or pushing out farther enough to get you to a decent bedtime, you are going to continue to get those early mornings because, I mean, for some kids, they don't have 14 hours of sleep in them. That's, that's really hard for a lot of kids. Then I would suggest like if your nap game isn't strong, it's probably worth looking at doing some nap training, calling me, we can kind of get you back on track. Another thing to consider is white noise. (laughs) There are some instances, especially, you know, in Toronto, there's a lot going on in the mornings. There are garbage trucks and sirens and, you know, that dog next door that's always let out at 5 a.m. Or maybe, you know, you have an air conditioner that comes on at a set time. These are just little sounds. But in those early hours of the morning, we are primed to be alerted by those, right? So like I said, our, our melatonin production is getting less and less. Our cortisol levels are rising. So any sort of stimulation is going to be hyper arousing around that time. So the addition of some white noise, if you're not already using that, can be really helpful. You know, if that dog next door, you're not going to hear them, or maybe you or your partner get up to go to work and the car goes off and that's enough to wake up your child. Most white noise uh, set between 40 and 50 decibels, I wouldn't say any louder than that, not any lower, um, is adequate enough to, to keep the noise out. And remember, white noise is not a sleep association or a sleep crutch. White noise is really there to block small noises. It allows you to flush your toilet. It allows you to talk to your partner, you know, big girl voice or big boy voice. (laughs) These are all things that you can do to, you know, again, I'm all about that real life stuff. Live your real life. Flush your toilet like a human. You can do that. And, And white noise can help you do that. So one of the other things I always like to talk about is if we took a video of you sleeping and we we watched you twist and turn and all of that stuff, you would actually be quite surprised in how active you are in your sleep and how you might have moments that you're awake and aware and you don't really know it. Especially in those early morning times, like I said, when our melatonin is lower, our cortisol is rising to wake us up, we're actually more o- awake than maybe we remember. For our babies, they are very much the same. We know that baby circadian rhythm starts to replicate hours around six months. So, you know, how we feel when we're tired, they start to feel. 
I really suggest removing your monitor. In my blog, I wrote to throw it out. You don't have to throw it out. It was probably expensive. Monitors are awesome during the day. And I really like them so you can put your baby down and kind of walk around and live your life and not really feel like you have to have your ear to the door the whole time. But during the night, if you have a house that allows for it, and not everyone does, but if you do have a house where you're right next to your baby or you know, you're pretty close, you can probably get away with not having a monitor because monitors are showing us things that we don't necessarily need to know. Lots of our babies are kind of getting up, stirring, they're happy. They might be awake for even a half an hour and then they fall back to sleep. We don't need to be rushing in and we don't need to go in there. I think those monitors pick up everything. It's going to make it really hard for you to fall back to sleep. And especially if it has any video capabilities, which most of the monitors we have now do, uh, looking at those screens kind of makes it really hard for us to calm our brain down and drift back to sleep. So getting rid of your monitor and kind of actively or not so passively ignoring your child if they're okay, I think is fine. Now, I'm not saying ignoring a screaming child who's losing their mind. I'm saying if your child seems okay and they don't need you and they're not crying and they're talking, babies aren't programmed to be like, I'm not fine and I'm not telling you. And I'm being very passive aggressive right now here in my crib, ignoring. Like, it's just not how they work. So don't ever worry that you're ignoring your child's needs. If you fall back to sleep, it's probably because they fell back to sleep. We're pretty in tune with our children, especially when they're babies. So I think it's okay to do that. This is a this is a smorgasbord of strategies, guys. This is a good one. Um, another strategy that you could use would be to shift your your baby's rhythm slowly. So, like I said, if your child has been waking up for a, quite a few days in a row, where they are uh, waking up at like let's say five thirty, right? Just suddenly implementing these strategies isn't going to work overnight. Like maybe blocking the light might do that. But, you know, what I might do is attend to them a little bit later and later. So, you know, every time we expose our children to light, so if we open the door, we open the windows, that's light, or food. So if we feed them, okay, we're starting our day. The body sort of like self-programs and is like, hey, this is when food is here. We should get up because food is coming and, and then the light comes and then it's time to start our day. So you can just delay exposing baby to food and light by, you know, 15 minutes every three to four days. So if your baby's getting up at, you know, five, God forbid, I wouldn't go to them until 515. Nothing bad will happen to, to them in those 15 minutes. And you're going to do that for three days, 515, 515, 515 they should start to shift a little bit. Then you can start pushing by another 15 minutes, 5.30, 5.30, 5.30. I would push that for as long as you can get it until you can get to the reasonable hour of six. If your child can get to six, they're going to be okay. All right. You don't have to worry about them being overtired. That, that's actually a decent night for most people, provided your bedtime's not at you know midnight. All right, guys, if you have done all of those things. And it has been two weeks and you're doing all the things and you know, your baby is falling asleep independently. I mean, that's always the caveat to all of this information. If you are still helping your child to sleep, if they're nursing, if they have a pacifier, if they're using a bottle, if they're being rocked, whatever your, your case is, if they still 
are being helped to sleep, it's going to be even 10 times harder to push out those mornings because they cannot go to sleep on their own. So I guess the caveat is make sure to all of this that your your child is falling asleep independently. If they're not, call me. As soon as your child is sleeping independently, a lot of this stuff works itself out. Your naps are going to lengthen, bedtimes are going to be easier, and you're probably going to get later mornings. If, 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 if you've done all of those things I've mentioned, if your child is sleeping independently, you just might have an early riser and they exist. And I know that's not what you want to hear. For some children, it's really appropriate to be up at 5.30 and that really sucks. And provided their bedtime is on appropriate time and they're getting enough daytime sleep, um, it might just be a phase that goes away. If they are getting the recommended amount of sleep, it's kind of like, you know, getting blood from a stone, right? It, It can be very, very challenging. But like anything, you know, there are no instant fixes in life. And I think it's really important that if you're trying any of these strategies, that you are continuously trying them and not just for a day. Nothing works for a day. Nothing even works in three days. If you think about the general time change, like going from, you know, ahead one hour to falling back an hour, that hour takes us two weeks to get over. You know, the tiredness that we feel, it takes two weeks. So give your baby two weeks. If all of that fails and you're still not kicking butt in those mornings, you might want to give me a call. Uh, There might be something else or you might just have an early riser and then you need to get better coffee and go to bed earlier. (sighs) Okay. That's it for this week, guys. Between the podcast that I just recorded and this, I have talked to myself. Well, actually, no, I shouldn't say I've talked to myself because I did talk to Emily Oster. It wasn't officially by myself. I talked by myself in a room for a really long time today, and most people might identify that as insanity. So I better cut it quick here. I'm going to link to my early wakings blog in the episode notes of this week's show. Also, there's always a full transcript of every podcast, so you can go back and highlight and print the things that you like and use them. And that's at www.babiesbestsleep.com slash slumber party. And you'll find a transcript for every episode. And as always, guys, if your kid is not sleeping and you'd like some support, you can definitely book a call with me if you are looking to work with a consultant. You can do that at www.babiesbestsleep.com slash 15 mins. Keep those questions coming, guys. They are fun. The weirder, the better. I had someone write me a couple weeks ago and said, if you like weird, here's weird. And I liked it. It was a good one. So stay tuned. Thank you for joining me for another Slumber Party and have a super great week. Bye-bye.